This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Arsene Wenger has been in Japan for a year. He doesn't know anything about English football. I will love it if we beat them. This is football heritage. Con Giovanni, yeah, incredible. Dribble, 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 dribble. If you don't know the answer to that question, then I think you're, you, you, are, you are an ostrich. Football is a funny old game. Some weeks so little can happen that we wonder how on earth we can reasonably do a show. But not this week. This week we saw a 9-0, a club captain booed off by his fans, VAR overturned not one but three penalty decisions, a 19th minute own goal winner, and most incredible of all, Manchester United scored more than one goal in the game and one away from home. What a weekend! Hello and welcome to the Total Football Podcast. I'm your bewildered host, Declan Hart, and joining me as always is Andrew Conway. Hello. Andrew, why can't every weekend be like this? We, I was worried about this weekend coming into it. I think we talked about it last week that it was going to be... Wasn't sure that you know it was going to be a fairly one-sided match. We thought in the biggest match of the weekend between uh, Spurs and Liverpool, and it turned out not to be. It turned out to be a lot more of a contest. And Casanaga, in fairness to him, the the Spurs reserve goalkeeper, he really did a good game. Man. Pulled up, yeah. He, he kept Spurs alive in that game. I I don't know where this weekend came from. Like very, you kind of get these random, randomly occurring events. Sometimes, like you get. A massive amount of goals going in. It's been a long time since we've had this amount of goals. The last time I can remember was a Spurs Wigan match, maybe. It was five years ago as well that uh, Southampton actually won a game eight nil against, against Sunderland, Sunderland. Yeah, of course, which was the terrible, terrible Sunderland side. They uh, didn't even go down that year. I don't no. think. <laughs> Who was the manager at that point? Uh, just Poyet, I think. Yeah, that was uh, wow. That, I think but we have. It's been years since we've had that many goals in a match. Like, really has. I can't. I think that was the last one in the in the Premier League, anyway. Oh yeah, I uh, certainly in the Premier League. It, it's and it just they're they're such freak events. And I, I remember watching it at the time on a uh, Friday night halftime, and there was like, might have been Max Rushton or someone like that said it's it's always these matches always end five one or something if they're five nil at halftime. Yeah. Like, well, I hope Leicester go for it in the second half. And in fairness, to Leicester they kind of did go for it for. At the time, I think, still think they could have done better because Southampton had thrown in the towel at about 2-0. Yeah, because uh, I, I remember last week I brought up this match uh, when we were doing the preview and you were like, oh, who, who would watch this match? Yeah, exactly. It turned out everyone ended up watching it. Uh, well, no one in the stadium was. Yeah. The place well, the emptied out at half time. Leicester fans are pretty happy. Uh, yeah, with the ones that travelled. Yeah, uh, but it, it was such a... Like, how often do you even see a team get two hat-tricks in one game? Well, it's been you're going back to Jermaine Pennant, Robert Perez against Southampton again. Back yeah, in, of course, uh, Southampton. Two thousand and four or two thousand and three, it was Jermaine Pennant as well. I think they were the only three goals he scored yeah. for Arsenal. It was it was uh, he flattered to deceive thereafter. I think played the Champions League final. Though. He did. He certainly did do that, and he lost that as well. Did he play two finals? Was he uh, there for Arsenal Barcelona? No, he wasn't. He was on. I think he was on loan somewhere at that point. How did he end up at Liverpool? <laughs> A lot of, lot of different... Uh, who, who was even at in the interim? Was it Stoke? No, that was after Liverpool. Yeah, he went to Stoke later. There was somewhere he was at between... Was it Portsmouth? or somewhere, There was somewhere team he was at between uh, Arsenal and Liverpool. And I can't even remember. West Brom, maybe. I, I don't even know anymore. Good old Jermaine Bennett. What player? And the poor man's Kieran Richardson. Oh, truly. Yeah. Uh, but... but the rest of the weekend, in fairness, the rest of the weekend, I don't think Saturday was up to much at all. No, like you'd, it's easy to forget that Watford even played Bournemouth. Yeah, there was a few bad draws, like uh, Sheffield United uh, against, whatchamacallit, 
I don't even remember what uh, West Ham. West Ham. Because the build-up for that was interesting because obviously those two have a bit of history because of 2006-7 and Carlos Tevez yeah. and all that. Oh, yeah. There's but, a whole... But the match itself, rule. not as interesting as the build-up. No, up. like, again, I go back to Sheffield United having a great win on Monday evening against Arsenal and really winning games like that is very important to Sheffield United as the season goes on because they need to pick up as many points as possible because as I watch them more and more, despite them having that really interesting way of playing of having those uh, overlapping centre-halves, they are a bad team of players. No offence to the players, but they're not Premier League standards. Yeah, they've they punched above their weight to get to the Premier League Absolutely. and beat the likes of Arsenal. When, and stuff. No offence to Republic of Ireland strikers. Uh, uh, David McGoldrick and, and Callum Robinson. Callum Robinson, but my, when, the when chances they had in that match even against West Ham, which were guilt edge, and they just kind of fluffed their lines. And it was like... When your team is filled good. half, like when half your team is filled with Irish internationals, I think it's fair to say it's not a great team. Yeah, and the other half filled with people who will never play for England. Yeah, it's it's not a good combination. Like there is some bright sparks, like uh, watch him call him Egan's good. Yeah, he's got a bit of pace. Jack Connell's not too bad in defence as well. And the, Stevens has been pretty good at yeah, left, uh, left back, left wing you know, back. You know, they're, they're they have some all right players who would be all right Premier League players for the likes of. You know Burnley, Burnley, maybe a Brighton, if Brighton say up. You know, a, a stoke of years gone by. That's the that's the level they're at, and uh, yeah, Sheffield United. They got another point. They're they're rocked in there towards the thirty five point mark, where they'll probably get go down with that. But the Brighton Everton match ended up being relatively entertaining. You know, a bit tit for tat. Brighton take the lead, Everton take the lead, then Brighton come back at them and get a late winner. Lucas yeah. Dean with the glorious on goal. Yeah, there's a. Marco Silva becomes the first Premier League manager to lose to Brighton three times as well. That's an unwanted <laughs> an, record. What an achievement for Marco Silva. <laughs> yeah. Everton, like, there, there, there's some positive news for Everton this weekend. Bill Kenwright tried to save Bury, tried to give them a million pounds, and the FA wouldn't let them because of uh, rules regarding ownership of multiple teams in the same country. Uh, so, you know, at least there's that positive to come out of uh, Everton's weekend. But they're... We we talked about Everton briefly earlier on the season. They have a problem with expectations. They they are basically stuck where they are. They're not going to exceed where they are in the current climate, the current economic situation, the current kind of playing staff they have at the club. They don't have that extra that extra bit of uh, pizzazz or extra bit of mentality to take them over the level the way that say Leicester City somehow identified that bit of whatever you want to call it you can't really call it anything it's something intangible and that's why Leicester like won the league several years ago and have pushed on and are back competing now in the cha- near the Champions League places and probably will be in the shake-up or at least in the top six shake-up come the end of the season Everton are of a club of a similar size of huge history of league title wins of FA Cup wins of European competition of in in, in a football mad city and just everyone, including the fans, including the players, are kind of like, they're 2-1 up in the 80th minute or 81st minute, and then you come back in the 94th minute or whatever it was in the end, and they're 3-2 down, and no one's surprised. Yeah, like, they're just kind of, they're kind of where Tottenham were when Tottenham were being managed by the likes of Martin Yall and one day Ramos. I think that's generous and... to, to, to Everton at the moment. I think there were Charlton Athletic were under Alan Kerbersley. Oh, the standards, you hit an absolute ceiling. Like the, it's they've regressed. Like David Moyes left, 
and Roberto Martinez for all of his ills and all of his faults he's not a perfect manager he did kick them on that little bit more they were in fourth majority season the challenge for Champions League place they were interesting to watch they were they you know they couldn't defend but they they had an attacking style about them he he was bringing exciting young players to the Premier League that you know Jared Delafeneo Delafeo when he was younger and more you know of a prospect uh, the likes of was it Kevin Morales playing well for Everton having interchangeable strikers up front Lukaku got Stephen Naismith playing exactly Seamus Coleman uh, continued you know, was at the forum of his life in that period and it, it fell away in the end and they went a different way as they can be expected but the, like We've had we've had conversations about them before. What what's the difference between right now under Marco Silva to under Sam Allardyce to under Ronald Coleman? They're they've been poor. There there's no there's no growth. There's no discernible growth in the team since then. Yeah, and they kind of just are existing at the moment. Like mm. they aren't doing anything interesting, or there's nothing. They're building. Really exciting. They're they're proposing to build a very cool looking stadium in on the river in Liverpool, which would be interesting, but. Beyond that, there's nothing interesting about the side. They do not play fun football, as we said before. They play very dour, defensive, systematic football, which is good for certain. You know, it's good for getting results in certain matches. But if you're in the mid table and you're going to finish in the mid table, no matter what, like the what difference does it really make between finishing fourteenth and finishing eighth? And at the moment, it seems like Marco Silva is just kind of getting by every week. Like it doesn't seem like the fans have much confidence in no. him. It's hard to tell whether the board are really that invested in him. Like, if if he were to go, like, it wouldn't shock me, no. and I don't think many Everton fans would be sad to see him go either. No, like, if at least, like, it, it's it's a it's a hard hard situation to be in because you you've got nothing to lo- you've got nothing to gain or nothing to, nothing to lose either way. It's like if you sack your manager, you're going to lose a couple of million in whatever compensation him and the staff re- receive. You're going to have to spend that again and trying to hire a new manager to come in. Then you're going to have the next few months as a kind of transitional period, which, you know, is a shot to nothing. It could go great. It could go terribly. And then you you regroup in the summer and you decide again where you're going to go with it. Do, 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 does Everton feel that in a, another manager coming in will fix things? And I, I don't mean things that really need to be fixed are functioning in a way. But will it bring them onto that Leicester City level? Will it bring them closer to the top six? I don't see like obviously it exists out there in the world there is managers and there is you know strategies that are good enough to bring any club on to another level you you don't know them until you know them that's why they're you know those managers suddenly become the hot prospects you don't pick a Marco Bielsa out of nowhere in 1990 you know that's where Everton would need to do to do anything different from where they are at the moment and it's it's a very it's it's a very just down situation to be in because you're like oh we could win a match we could lose a match it doesn't really matter yeah the whole thing just feels like nothing mm. which is maybe the worst feeling of football yeah uh but a good win for brighton i suppose who yeah, they keep know, they keep on the, they're the, doing something they are a team doing something interesting i guess by bringing in someone like graham potter to kind of you know they've decided they don't want to have that kind of dourness around the club if they're just going to finish bot near bottom of the table but enough to stay up like they're they've gone with Someone who's going to try do something different with the team, yep. try do something exciting with the team. Well, they're trying to play a bit more expansive football than say under uh, Chris Hutton last season. They are trying to promote from a decent enough youth setup. Everyone knows Brighton have had a decent enough youth setup for years now. Maybe not producing the players the top level of the Premier League, but they've always produced decent, you know, football league footballers, and they're giving them a chance now. 
I I don't see Potter really doing a great deal against bigger sides. I think the level against Everton is probably at the peak of the the sides he can compete against. Um. So yeah, like you said, it, it it'll be an interesting season for them to see where they finish. If even if they go down, I could see Potter staying, bar it having a you know a miserable run in the season that makes it just look like this is crap. But yeah, he, he he's an interesting manager in the Eddie Howe form, but a bit more of a how would you say a, a, a soccernomics type of manager who takes a lot into account into analytics and statistics and performances and red zones and everything like that comes into modern mo- which will come into modern management and an awful lot more in coming years if it already hasn't started creeping in there a lot with the likes of ProZone and other types of uh, analytical uh, coaching that exists at the moment. So it's it's an interesting experiment to see how it goes. Like I don't. In terms of watching Brighton, they're not a fun side to watch that much. Never really have been. But I don't know what you think. They kind of play a very uh, straightforward kind of football. They often try to go to a four-four-two, an old-school type of game. Get the ball down the wings, cross the ball in, hope for something. Play quick balls to the forward players. Like I, I would like to see them do something a bit different to try and like engage with the skill they have in their squad. They have some good footballers in their squad. And I, I'd love to see Potter, Potter, given a guy he has had experience in continental football in terms of management, and even, well, in Scandinavian football, I believe that's where he, he has early success. I would love him to see, maybe to introduce some of those things that we haven't seen in the Premier League in a long time, like a proper number 10 being used or something like that. I know Chelsea are kind of doing it at the moment, but it, it, I'd love to see a bit more of that coming from the, the younger managers in the league who kind of are on a shot to nothing. If they get rel- they're expected to get relegated, Brighton. So you may as well entertain people while you do it. And then to go back to the top of the table, Liverpool uh, kept their six point gap, but Man City, both of them winning this weekend. Man City quite comfortable against Aston Villa, as we kind of predicted. Uh, Liverpool, you know, they they went down one nil very early in that match, very unexpectedly. Harry Kane with a good improvised finish yeah. after after uh, Son hit the crossbar, wasn't it? Yeah, was it deflected? That it was after forty seconds. I remember it was like Ooh. I think I think Allison got a hand to it. Yeah, and uh, then to it get it onto of, the post. Yeah, it was a. Uh, but then Liverpool a, just an absolute onslaught on on Tottenham. Yeah, that was the only incursion I think, if I remember correctly, the only incursion Spurs had in the in the first half. They had one half chance, if you could even call it a half chance, near the end of the first half when Kane, if he just gets a knee on it, might have made a two 0 Yeah, but other other than that, it was all Liverpool. Yeah, and, and complete like, dominance from Liverpool, complete control by the fullbacks Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold getting in behind constantly. Uh, crossing the ball deep every time. Salah had a, looked a bit off the boil in terms of his, you know, he's had that injury and I think he's kind of not fully fit at the moment. Uh, Sadio Mane is, again, doesn't quite have his shooting boots on. The, like in the last few weeks, he's kind of been a bit having to take a few more chances to get a, get a shot on or a few more chances to get a goal even. Uh, and Firmino was kind of doing his standards being anonymous for part of the season party always does this every year so it's it's a struggling time for Liverpool because they have not been good performance wise but they just keep picking up results like they've only dropped the two points all season again yeah and against Manchester United which was kind of psychological block for them but the last few weeks I think they've been I don't know if things catching up to them I thought losing the the um Losing the unbeaten, or the not the unbeaten record, but losing the winning streak record against Manchester United might give them a psychological boost in that they wouldn't be worried about that anymore because I felt the last few weeks that's been on their back. Yeah, it's been a burden, exactly. But against Spurs, like despite them coming back well and doing well and, and holding out at the end to win the match, like controlling it to, to win a 2-1 in the end, uh, 
I do still worry about their kind of their performances aren't what you know Premier League champions should be. I know it's a hard game. I know it's after Champions League week, or and they have another midweek ma- match coming up against Arsenal, which is a you know a, a tough enough as League Cup fixtures come. So I know there's there's these things playing on Klopp's head, but the and the team's head, but like the likes Dejan Love from playing in that team still always does worry me, especially if he's playing on the side of Trent Alexander Arnold, the weaker of the two fullbacks defensively. I I don't know if you saw Gary Neville's analysis after the. The match yesterday and he was on about how Spurs and their three or four chances they had in the second half all came from Trent Alexander's side all came for him kind of not being in the right position and despite him playing amazingly going forward along like he he still is a cause of problems there and if you have Dejan Lovren in there alongside him being the covering man for it it's not the uh I don't think that's the best cover you could possibly have in that position. Yeah, like I wonder almost how long it'll be until Alexander-Arnold has just moved into midfield for Liverpool because he did play for uh, U-team at midfield. He yeah. could, he offers that creative spark more than any of the other midfielders in the team. Like you, you wonder if they took out maybe Jordan Henderson and put in Alexander-Arnold and put in a more defensively solid player at right back. Yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from on the defensive side. Like I think a shift to, to uh, three at the back for Liverpool will be more likely than Alexander-Arnold actually moving properly into a right midfield role because he doesn't have that... Uh, the, the Alexander-Arnold is best when he takes the ball at pace when he's running at, at somebody. When he can get a ball, he's he's decent enough at, at picking a person up with a, a, a first or second touch pass. He's decent enough pace on him. I don't think he's a guy who's going to take the ball on in midfield, pass it around a few times and move it forward the way you know a metronomic midfielder would. Or even pick, you know, create a chance in the central position the way, you know, a number 10 could, the way Naby Keita could, the way Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain even could. I think right back suits him. I, whenever it was, Jack Charlton, the, the the oracle that is Jack Charlton back in the early 90s said that uh, full back is the most important position in modern football. He said it's like 1990 World Cup, I think. Everyone else is marked out. Full back is the only place where you're allowed to engage and move forward and back. It's the most physically demanding the position on the field after yeah, them and centre forwards doing because you're doing runs for nothing all the time and you have to be extremely disciplined in your movement going back and forth and defending and attacking requires a greater skill set. I think Trent Alexander Arnold is suited to that right back role because the rest of the team will function around him. That he won't have to be that kind of metronomic player midfield. He won't have to be that guy that everyone relies upon to create chances and everyone marks on. Being a fullback means you're out of direct kind of direct sight of the match for most of the match only when the ball moves to the right hand side in his case are you involved in it and I don't think moving him into a, into a midfield position will that help him I think right back is his position it's where he serves best it's where players such as Jordan Henderson can play midfield can get, draw in players almost be the, the dummy run for everything and then Alexander Arnold can slip around the outside and be the extra man I think that's where his game is best I and I I agree that there is flaws in his game and indeed a lot of his skills would lend themselves very well to playing a bit more further up the field in the in the vein of uh you know a right midfielder Gareth Bale type of player if you will because Gareth Bale from started as a fullback as well and eventually evolved his game into being a center forward effectively because of his skills but I fear not fear but I, I think uh there's a bit more of a Roberto Carlos about Trent Alexander-Arnold where managers consistently tried to play Roberto Carlos in the in the left midfield because his defensive skills weren't great but he had an amazing attacking ability amazing ability to get in the box amazing ability to cross the ball and to be a you know a great one-two passer and an overlapper of the game 
eventually the man of Vincente Del Bosque decided this guy is just a left back leave him at left back he doesn't he doesn't have the ability to play as a midfielder out and out but he's so good on the overlap he's so dangerous that I have to sacrifice defensively to get him into the team and I think there's a bit of that about Trent Alexander-Arnold and then for Tottenham it is just a, it's a blow for them morale wise because it was a surprising lineup from Pochettino because they did so well against uh, an admittedly weak opponent in Red Star Belgrade midweek when they won 5-0 mm. uh, but then he kind of brought back in a few of the players that had kind of you wonder about their relationship with Pochettino at the moment the likes of Ericsson the likes of, yeah. likes of Alderweireld Ericsson didn't look like he wanted to be there exactly so brought them back in and then they do take the lead only to then squander the chance especially with a, a, a needless penalty in the yeah. end like uh, Mane just kind of outwits Aurier really similar to the Champions League final if you will <laughs> slightly yeah Mane just he knows, playing the game he knows how to play the game especially yeah. against Tottenham yeah it seems that way like, uh, you, what you saw like the uh, Sissoko it was Sissoko, was getting frustrated in the first half against Liverpool. They were playing up against him, kind of getting him angry. He, I think he got booked for doing something stupid like that, for pushing uh, uh, Andy Robertson at one point in the first half. Like uh, they, they know Liverpool are how to push Spurs' button. That's why they have such a commanding record against them. Uh, but now they like they sit in 11th in the league. We are mm. 10 games into the season, which is generally when we can actually start looking at the table. And yeah. 11th is, is like... They deserve to be 11th. Like, they've not played well, they've not performed yeah. well. I know we talked about a lot about them last week, and yeah. I do obviously still think Pochettino should stay in charge, but uh, I, I wonder how long until he starts bringing in the likes of, I think, Oliver Skip and uh, Troy, Troy Parrish, who scored four oh, goals midweek. Because, uh, you know, just to freshen up the squad, bring in, you know, a bit of new blood, some people who don't have that baggage of four or five years of listening to Pochettino yeah. deliver the same yeah. team talks every week or whatever. Talking about, you know, energy and stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, and not in that type of energy, the metaphysical energy. Uh, but we I, we both agreed Pochettino being sacked is a bad move for Spurs in the long term. It, it may award them a momentary, you know, kind of a boost, but I think it would be bad for the club and the structure as a whole. I think Daniel Levy and the decision makers at Spurs agree with that. Uh, but when it comes to Spurs at the moment, they are really reaping the 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 seeds they sowed a couple of years ago. Not signing any players, not changing things then, not cashing in on some of the players that maybe, while very good for them at the time, you need a kind of you need a a bloodening in the side. You need kind of a change. You don't do it wholesale every year, but you're always trying to move a one player on who's nearing the end and bring another player in and kind of rotate things out. Like they they did that, if you remember earlier in Pochettino's reign, I think that's when he moved Ryan Mason onto Hull at the time before he had to retire. Um, fantastic player for Spurs, isn't it? even like, Kyle Walker. Kyle Walker, exactly. And kind of you could bring in new fullbacks then, new that way. And now look at it; it's kind of they're stuck playing Serge Aurier. I don't think Pochettino likes him that much anymore. I don't think he ever really did. I think there was a falling out there at some point last season. Danny Rose, we know well Pochettino and him don't really get on. But Danny Rose is just there because I don't know why anymore. Because he, he is subject, sub what's the word, where uh, suspect defensively. He has been for several years. You remember they, playing for England Spurs a couple did, years ago. They were did bad. sign Ryan Sessegnon, didn't they? Like that, I didn't dream that. Something sounds familiar about that. I, I'm pretty sure that happened. He he is also a left yeah. back. Like I'm pretty sure. Like what what, yeah. what is going on there? Like I don't think he went back on loan to Fulham. Yeah, uh, th- like uh, Pochettino made a few interesting comments yesterday. Uh, I think he was asked about Dombele. Dom Dom, in Dombele. In yeah. Dombele. 
I said his name half right, in Dombley coming on. And earlier in the season, I thought he was a fantastic signing. He played well for Spurs in the first few games of the season. Obviously got a bit of a knock and has been in and out since. But he played a bit against Liverpool and kind of brought a bit more control into the place. Especially in, you know, with Eriksen kind of not moving much in midfield. It, it, it is a benefit to it. And then... Pochettino immediately talked down his influence in the game. I was like, okay, so does that mean you don't like Ndombele either? He talked about having a 29-man squad, which is uh, a news to me that he had that many players in his squad, but obviously he must be including some young players. Uh, he must well. be, yeah. But where are these young players? Because he hasn't been playing 29 men in this team at all this season. He's had to play a few players because he's been forced to. We, we talked a bit about Castanega earlier on, that he, he's had to come in for... Um, uh, Lloris but the rest of them like you said Troy Parr Troy Parr hasn't got a shout at all yeah, he's been on the bench once I think maybe yeah. twice like he, he doesn't look like he's getting a, a look in at all and he has been really impressive for the under 23 side uh, both for Spurs and Ireland exactly and compared to what's there well, I don't know why he doesn't take a gamble on it I don't know it, it, something's not right at Spurs at the moment they're still a few more matches away from them being in full-on crisis mode. Like, everyone, I don't think, you and me both included, I don't think we thought they were going to get a result against Liverpool this weekend. I don't think many people really did. So I, that's a shot to nothing in a, in a lot of ways. I don't think anyone really gave them the next Champions League match, I believe, is against uh, Thing again. Uh, Red Star Belgrade. Red Star Belgrade yeah. again. So that's going to be a win. So they're probably going to have a decent enough, they're going to have six points in the Champions League. They should be able to get through that group. Yeah. So, like, it, there's a lot of things currently papering over cracks at Spurs, and it's kind of like the fixture list, that way everything's balanced. The matches, they kind of got results out earlier in the season where they didn't really deserve them. Earlier in the season, it's been 10 games, and earlier in the season, they already looked a bit shonky. So, I don't know. Roll, rolling into Christmas, and when the fixtures start piling up, and the hard fixtures start piling up, I think there could be a lot of... I like I don't see Spurs getting much higher than eleventh until later on in the season. Like they're going to be in that mid table shake up along with a few other bigger teams that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be down there. But I don't see how Spurs can get out of this without making some kind of uh substantial change, like a real fundamental change in the team. Whether that's a wholesale get rid of uh, Ericsson from the side, bring in a new way of playing, go back to three at the back and bring in you know new players in the scene, be more solid in the, in the centre midfield and have more control there. Not fo- we, It's a broken record at this point, but the, the focus on Harry Kane, even when he's not there, the, the, that, that kind of void that's left in the top, the, the Christmas tree formation of the Spurs team, they have to find new ways of kind of channeling attacks and they, they haven't in some in a couple of years at least you saw Deli Ali being tried out last week and he got the goal out of it in fairness to him but then where was he this week yeah like uh, like we, we've kind of questioned Deli Ali on the show a few times and Son as well was so good for them last year that like he hasn't really got going this year either and Harry Kane yeah, like he he's had those ankle injuries, and you almost wonder has he slowed down to the point that he's just not as effective as he used to be. See, I don't. Harry Kane was never a quick player. Harry Kane was never a never a speed merchant. He's not Michael Owen, and I know people say no, it's very similar to Alan Shearer, who also wasn't a speed merchant, had a bit of pace about him in over five yards, and that's how he got his goals. And then uh, when he got knee injuries, and it, it, later on in his career, he changed his game and became more of a withdrawn striker that would appear in the box when needed. I don't. I honestly don't think Harry Kane needs to fundamentally change his game. I think 
I think he's been overworked in that Spurs side. I think he is at his best a high pressing, get close down uh, attacking moves player that needs to be managed in that way. He shouldn't be playing 90 minutes every single match. He doesn't need to be playing 90 minutes every single match. He is a big lad as well, so he's carrying a lot of weight, so it isn't good for his ankles to be running around that much. It's not like he's uh, like the frame of Nobamiyang, who's a very light guy who's expected to run and can run for 90 minutes every week and not have those kind of joint injuries that Harry Kane gets. He needs to be managed in a more effective way, and I don't think Pochettino necessarily is doing that at Spurs at the moment and we, we can go back to the Pochettino at Southampton and this was often brought up as a criticism he started so well with his Southampton sides every year and then they trailed off the end of the season and then that happened at Spurs as well and then the last couple of years it's been said that he tried to adjust their training so they'd run their legs off in pre-season and then have an easy enough run of training and you know the, the way they're conditioned for the first few months of the season so they'd be fresher at the end of the season and it, to an extent that worked last season they got to the Champions League final obviously but uh, I don't think that works when you don't have enough players, especially in certain positions. They may have twenty man, nine man squad, but who's the replacement for Harry Kane in the team? Vincent yeah. Jensen. Yeah, like uh, when you don't and, and you insist on not playing Troy Parry, you kind of leave leave Harry Kane isolated in the squad. Yeah. As like you know, he he Harry Kane is sitting there going, "I need to play every ninety minutes because there is no other option." Yeah. Arsenal find themselves fifth in the league, top of their Europa League group, have one of the most exciting front threes of any side in Europe and have an incredibly exciting crop of youngsters coming through the academy this season, and yet no one at the club seems happy. This weekend saw a real nadir in the relationship between the fans and the manager, Unai Emery. The fan base is baying for blood. After only 15 months in charge, it is clear that many Arsenal fans want Emery gone. Where has it all gone wrong? They don't have a style. That I, I've said this before, that Arsenal lack a style, a cohesion, a cohesive strategy to play the game. Because of that, players are confused, fans are confused, no one's happy with the, the way the, the game is being played. I think you, you've made very factual statements saying Arsenal are fifth in the league, they're nine points out of nine in their Europa League group. They are doing as well as you might have expected Arsenal to do, given that... You know, it's still tight in the league. Like they're not a huge amount of points away from the maximum expected position they could finish, which would be third. I'd imagine they're not a massive way off that at the moment. So you ask a question: Why are people unhappy? People are unhappy because they don't like the team. They they didn't like the team when Wenger was there near the end, and it got a bit hostile and it got a bit toxic. Uh, and people forgot how much Arsene Wenger did for the club at, at near the end of of his tenure. But Emery has not done that stuff for Arsenal. He hasn't won trophies for Arsenal. He hasn't tried to change things and bring the team on and, and endear some kind of new way of playing, modern methods. None of that has happened under Emery. He's kind of continued where he's left off. A lot of money has been spent and not much has changed. And I think that's the frustration for a lot of Arsenal fans at the moment. And the continuing poor performances when Arsenal can go into every single home or away match away matches I don't think Arsenal expect to even get a draw out of these days yeah like when was the last time they actually have won away from home they have won one this in the season, league haven't they uh, but I remember last season it was an issue like they only kept one clean sheet away from home all year yeah. I remember last year the Arsene Menger's last season I think it was Huddersfield in the final game of the second final game of the season was their first away win for the second half of the whole season yeah 
So it is something they struggled with over the years. Like this isn't a new issue for Arsenal or Emery that no, this is a problem. It's not. And then you have to go, okay, what what are the problems? I heard a story last week. I, I'm just trying to remember the the. Um, it came. A few players were mentioned uh, of who have poor reputations, saying the Premier League and poor reputations, especially at Arsenal. The likes of um, uh, Mikel Silvestre, formerly Manchester United Champions League winning player, I believe. The first uh, in 99, did he win it? I don't know. Was he well, there? he definitely won a lot of league titles. Yeah, a league winner in my eyes. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he went to Arsenal. Uh, you had uh, Scalacci. Do you remember Scalacci? He played for Monaco yep. in Champions League final, won, won, won trophies, played France International, very experienced, goes to Arsenal as a laughing stock. Uh, their, their Kim story. Kalstrom. Kim Kalstrom. Well, yeah, that's that. Kim Kalstrom's a very specific story. But a lot of defensive players who go to Arsenal. And there's been stories of people in tears going to the... Uh, initially it was Arsene Wenger, but it's it's latterly it's continued into Niamh's reign. And going and begging for support. For, I think it was Lauren Cashelny was the last player to do it. Begging for support from the, the, the structure of the team to provide more cover for the defence. Because you basically, you, you'll sign a talented player or a player with experience like Sylvester, like Scalacci... Uh, in recent times, like Callum Chambers, like uh, uh, David Luiz, like uh, Socrates, uh, even Mustafi to an extent, he's a World Cup winning defender. Like it's not, he didn't sign without any reputation whatsoever. He did win the World Cup. What was a was a good player? Valencia was in the top statistically in the top players and defensively in La Liga, and he goes to Arsenal and becomes a laughing stock and a and ridicule. And really, his career has stalled completely out of the Germany squad. Is a complete disgrace and humiliated player every week he plays in in England and has been for the last couple of years. And all of this is not necessarily because they're a terrible player. Mustafi didn't turn into a terrible player overnight. The other players I've listed did not turn into terrible players. It's a structural problem with Arsenal. And it's something that, as you said, it, it has existed for a long time. It, it's not out of the blue that they suddenly don't have a defensive or they don't have an away record to speak of. They can't win away from home. They can't keep clean sheets away from home. I think it's uh, 24 or 22 of the last 24 matches. They failed to keep away from home. They failed to keep clean sheets. Like some ridiculous, ridiculous statistic. Um It's a problem with the team. And you can't just be... I think you said it to me yesterday that Arsenal have a you know they're playing three defensive midfielders because the defense is terrible but i i think playing three defensive midfielders it doesn't matter if you play three defensive midfielders if they're not playing defensively and i don't think emery has instilled a way of playing into any of the players that play for him at arsenal and because of that no one knows how they're playing because of that old habits have fallen through so they're probably still following all the technical instruction coming from the Arsene Wenger era in terms of their defensive positioning the defensive shape how they interact with each other uh, in play and as a result of that you have a continuation of the the kind of tail end of the Wenger era when everything was going wrong and if that's your default mode and your manager in a year and a bit hasn't been able to arrest that slump I think that's a huge problem structurally in the team and I think that's something that if he hasn't fixed it at this point, I think he should be got rid of and a, a new person brought in. But is that not just a bit of a knee-jerk reaction, though, after a poor and volatile draw against an actually an actually decent Crystal Palace side? I know they were 2-0 up. I know they should have won in the end. VAR actually maybe came yeah, and we, went against them, which is a different conversation. Yeah. But they, they, could have, they could have and should have won that match, and they didn't. But it just seems like it, it's been a bit of an overreaction, especially the last few weeks. Like, they lost Sheffield United... 
But we talked about how Sheffield United, you know, they have an interesting system. They are punching above their weight. It, it, I don't think that's the worst result in the world. Like, it is a bad result, but I don't think it's the kind of result that gets a manager sacked either. Like, this just seems like it's a bad run of form. Like, they, they're still fit. They're close to Chelsea. They're still in the Europa League, which is what Emery has been brought in to win. Obviously, they got to the final last year and capitulated in that, that final. But, yeah. you know, we, that's that one happen. game. Yeah. It can happen yeah. uh, against an admittedly good Chelsea performance as well. So, it just seems like... It just seems like Arsenal fans have just completely lost patience. Like it's it's weird as well because when when it was Wenger, obviously Wenger had the not the baggage of doing well, but <laughs> you know the the that was there. Like he had the yeah. history of being a good manager that kind of afforded him the couple of years to stay on and do poorly and finish yeah. fifth a couple times. It probably times. bought him five years more than he really should have taken. Exactly. Like, especially with when he started winning the, the few FA Cups there as yeah. well. Emery doesn't have that, so, you know, there's no emotional attachment with Emery, clearly. Uh, so it is easier for the board to kind of get rid of him, cut ties, and, you know, no one will be too annoyed. Like, it doesn't seem like the fan base is split over Emery in and Emery out like they were with Wenger and Wenger in and Wenger. It seems more the fan base is split with the players. Like, there's those who think it was right to boo Xhaka and those who think it was wrong and those who think he should apologise and those for, you know, what he said to the fans afterwards and those who think, uh, you know, that he should be stripped of the captaincy and those who think he shouldn't. And then there's the whole Ozil factor and people saying Ozil should be playing and people saying he shouldn't be playing. Like, it just seems like the... The 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 kind of volatility that went from Wenger never really left, but it just kind of it's been it's been kind of slowly under the it's surface chewing, and yeah. manifesting itself, and now it's come out again, and they're attacking the players this time because, well, like, like it isn't Jack's fault that he's being played and he's been picked as captain. That is Emery's fault, but. Xhaka is making mistakes like he's yeah. clearly not up to the standard of playing for Arsenal and he, like it is it I I do find it weird that he plays and Torreira is there like I think Torreira is a better player but at the same time I don't think bringing Torreira in for Xhaka improves Arsenal vastly I don't think it, it's the difference between them being fourth and fifth I think they'd mm. still be fifth if, if Torreira had been playing all this time so it just seems strange like especially when you know Emery is pretty much gone at the end of the year like it just seems like they could just coast to fifth place and maybe pick up the Europa League and keep him like it doesn't seem like he's lost the dressing room completely or really that much at all there were stories today of uh, certain players actually going to Xhaka's house after the match there were pictures of Torreira crying on the bench after he saw uh, Xhaka be treated that way like (laughs) it just seems like it just seems like Arsenal fans are maybe shooting themselves in the foot with with the way they're treating the player or this player in particular because you know, like like the seeing Torreira act that way like it's not surprising because Torreira is thinking well you know there's not a huge amount of difference between me and Xhaka like that could be me and you know none of us deserve this kind of treatment mm. like it just seems like Arsenal fans should be a bit more patient when it comes to results, it feels like they should maybe just try and actually support the team. Like, I mean the match going Arsenal fans, and obviously it isn't everyone in the stadium booing them, mm-hmm. but it feels like they're just, this t- toxic atmosphere they're creating is doing nothing but make things worse. Yeah, you've made a lot of lot of good points there. Like, you're right. First and foremost, there there's unacceptable behaviour from the fan side of you that has existed since the inception almost, <clears throat> and probably before. <clears throat> Excuse me. Of Arsenal fan TV, which 
is a kind of it's not a, it's it's a lightning rod for all this kind of behavior it encourages people to be unnecessarily and irrational angry at, at, at and having knee-jerk reactions to everything and i, and I did watch some arsenal fan tv yesterday just because <laughs> it seemed like okay the volatility's back let's see what these people are saying because they're the ones who are getting on the internet and and they were so angry like i've seen yeah. them angry before but usually it was like, oh, I can't believe the team is like this. And it's always usually directed at Fenger or the board even like, oh, yeah. get Fenger out and all this. And it's usually after performance, like when they lost to Bayern Munich 5-1 those multiple times yeah. or when they lost 6-0 to Chelsea and stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas yeah. this is, it's a 2 all draw Palace. Like it's not the worst result in the world. Man United lost 2-1 to Palace. Yeah. Like they're, they're a team that can... Emery said they improved over last season <laughs> exactly. because they lost last season to Palace. Exactly. But the, like they were so angry. Like it, it actually seemed like they were going to come to blows at times. You know, yeah. maybe part of that is... I'm not saying staged, but like maybe it is for the camera a little well, bit. No, but you're, but you're, like yeah. it still is so over the top. Yeah, it's unaccept. A lot of it's unacceptable. Like you're saying, like some maybe some of it for the Arsenal fan TV stuff is staged, but the chanting and the the vitriol and the the absolute anger that the fans you could see in fans' faces when Jack reacted the way he did and when he was coming off and whatever about that. That's that that's Jack's own choice to react like that, and he can do that. Like he he's he's obviously annoyed. It's in the heat at the moment. You, the, the, things like that can be excused but the the fans have been building this toxic atmosphere for a long time it's existed since before Emery's appointed it's happened again now the see the problem with all this and you're like you made very good points in your in your in your speech there when you're talking about you know it's not a bad result against Crystal Palace it's not a bad result against uh like a one-off result against Sheffield United. Like it is a bad result, but it's not a systemic <laughs> no, result. No, but this is the the thing. The trend has been has been so poor. We've talked about away performance and not getting results. It it's not even a case of the way of the away performances or get, not getting the results away from home, but it's crept into every part of the Arsenal Football Club at the moment. Their home performances are awful. No fan is going into any of these matches assuming victory the way you would if you were. Even Leicester City going to play the likes of Crystal Palace, the likes of uh, of Brighton, the likes of Sheffield United. You mean you know? There's obviously a, a, a clear chance that they could you know get lose the match like that. But with Arsenal, if they're going into these matches, particularly away from home, there's not even a uh, not even a hope. The Arsenal aren't even favourites to win these matches, even though they are coming up near the top of the table, and they're it's kind of by default that they're getting they're just getting enough points in some in certain matches to keep ahead of the trend. There a lot of things have been papering over cracks. We've talked a lot about papering over cracks in, in recent times. Spurs results have papered over Arsenal's cracks. The Chelsea haven't had an indifferent start for a lot of this season. Like they had a bad start to the season. They've only managed I think they're on nine victories now this season, which is like a pretty good turnaround. Six of those in a row now. Exactly. And and watching Chelsea, I can bring it back to Chelsea in a second, but you know, they're moving in the right direction, but they haven't had a great season either, and they're you know, the team Arsenal are being compared you compared against them there. Leicester City, who have not had a great season either in terms of, you know, a Champions League titling challenging team. They have had for like a mid-table team the way Leicester have been the last couple of years. But there's not been outstanding teams that, you know, in previous years would have pulled away. In previous years, Chelsea, Man United, Spurs, Arsenal even would have pulled away from this group already. And there would be up there in the top four. Maybe there'd be a three-way title race going on. At the moment, that's not happening. So that's, that's given Arsenal this kind of leeway to, to grow into. Because they're in fifth place. They're a bit cut away from being in 10th or 11th point, uh, place. But it, it, it's just a consistent, poor performance without any kind of design or direction. Like you're talking about, you made a good example there, bringing in Lucas Trera for Granit Xhaka. 
it probably wouldn't fix things that much. Lucas Schreier was a was a relatively big budget signing. He had a good first season last season. Missed a bit through injury, missed a bit through kind of tiredness, and you know there was other there's other circumstances happening. But he's twenty twenty one years old. He's in his second season. Can't even get a starting game. He played last week as an attacking a number ten when he's clearly a defensive footballer. So even if he gets into the team, he's not playing in the jack of position. Emery's chopping and changing every week, and you know moving players from one position to the other position. Like uh, Callum Chambers was was almost a makeshift uh, sellable object on the last day of the transfer window, and now he's a first team starter every week playing in and not his best position by any stretch of imagination as a flying right back. He's being charged being the most creative player in the team, a la Trent Alexander-Arnold. There's no creativity in the centre midfield at all. Mesut Ozil, who, you know, we don't know what kind of player he is anymore. He's barely played the last year and a half because of his relationship with Emery. But he's on 400-odd grand a week. He's making jokes and trolling on social media. He clearly has part of the dressing room with him. And we, we have, he won't be played no matter how bad Arsenal get create, create, creatively in the middle of the park. Up front, you have players like Lacazette crying, like really getting, not crying, not literally crying, but screaming out for support, for help in in managing the attacking side of the game, not getting anything from the sideline. I said to you yesterday, you have Emery telling players to move around the pitch. He's constantly micromanaging the game from the sideline. Ten players moving around the pitch when the other player hasn't got the message at all. So suddenly you have an overload of players on one side and no one covering the other side and then chances happen for the opposition side. That happened multiple times against Crystal Palace it happened against Sheffield United it happens again it happened in the Europa League match the save last minute you have a player of the extreme quality of Pepe uh, who is getting substituted at random times during matches and nobody can really pick out why even though he's creating more chances than most other players in the Premier League there's there's problems throughout the side and we can go into it to a greater degree but to bring it to Chelsea I watch Chelsea quite a bit now and I watched them at the weekend against Burnley and it kind of turned into a bit of a, a weird match. The end finishing four two as it did. They were cu- cruising, could have had you know fifth goal and been way and clear if penalties had been given and so forth. But the the way they're playing football, they do not look like the way Sarri played football last season. They do not look like the way they were playing a couple of years ago under uh, Mourinho. They are playing a, a new brand of football. Not like it's not an original brand of football, but they're playing tight triangles. They're moving things out. They're adapting to the players they have. Lampard knows that he has old defenders or players who seem older than they necessarily are in uh, Marcus Alonso, Cesar Azpilicueta, Kurt Zuma. Players who do not have endless amounts of pace. So he plays a very deep line, defensive line. And he has a goalkeeper in Kepa. And those guys play amongst themselves. And then there's a big gap. And then his midfield and attack break forward and play an attacking game in tight triangles with creative players. He's adapted to the players he's had with a way, a clear way of playing football. It may not always work. It obviously didn't work against Manchester United. It may not work against other big sides. But it is a way of playing that people can get behind and people can support. The players can understand and get behind. If he brings on Pulisic, Pulisic knows where to play in that formation. If he takes off Pulisic and brings on Hudson-Odoi, Hudson-Odoi knows where he plays in that formation. At Arsenal, Unai Emery's been there an extra year on Lampard. Has had a, has spent a huge amount of money, and Lampard has spent nothing given the transfer ban he's had, and has not put any of that in place. There is no discernible style of football. He hasn't shorn up the defence, which is one of the reasons he was highlighted as a player. Oh, he can come in as manager and get uh, a performance out of the defence. They're still playing the the kind of system they played under Wenger, which is antiquated in defensive football. He has done nothing to help the midfield out at all. If anything, he's debilitated midfield by taking out creativity from it and replacing it with defensive 
in solidity because they're not solid it's the opposite of solid it's they're permeable and they're meshy and you, you can put them through like some goo and then up front what has he done he's kind of switched from having a one striker with kind of supporting midfielders to having three strikers who are completely isolated from the match who don't track back so it's like the worst of every segment of the pitch the only one holding their own at the moment is the goalkeeper who's making saves but a, a goalkeeper will eventually make a mistake if you keep piling pressure on them like Bert Leno's faced more shots than any other player in the Premier League this season that's crazy for a team in fifth place it's we don't want to go too much into like expected goals or expected defeats, expected losses, the kind of statistical analysis you can go into it. But Arsenal are punching above their weight being in fifth place at the moment. And there's nothing to say that they couldn't fall down to the, not that they're depth, but easily be down where Spurs are at the moment and further. Because at least Spurs have shown and Pochettino has shown he has an ability to get performances out of his team. Emery hasn't got that at all. So they're, like, they could easily fall to where Spurs are and keep falling. Is your head in the sand? Can you, are you flexible enough to get your head in the sand? My suspicion would be no. You mentioned there, Andrew, uh, earlier that the League Cup is back this week mm. and they've decided to put the two biggest matches on at the exact same time. Double header. Uh, Liverpool against Arsenal and Chelsea against Manchester United are both on Wednesday evening. Yeah. Do we care? Um, Do we care I about the League Cup yet? Sky, Sky who arranged the fixtures in the in that in that glorious fashion that they decided to raise them in, uh, put it in their promos for it. The rising stars of the of the of the future of the Premier League is how, you know. So they know well that given that they put some they put all of those teams playing except for uh, Chelsea, all of the teams played on the Sunday. Yeah. So, and when it, these match on Wednesday, is it Wednesday? Yeah. Yeah, like, and before another set of games the following weekend and before another Champions League set of games yeah because then Man United and Arsenal and Liverpool all play on Saturday yeah so I wonder who's going to play in these matches for these clubs like I think this will be a great use of um, <laughs> the kind of le- lesser known players at Manchester United uh, The what was the McTominay uh, name that went on the Europa League uh, on uh, Thursday evening how do you mean? You remember his name came up on the Oh yeah, Mick Mick Tomine or Mick whatever. Mick Yes. Uh it'll be a, it'll be a good like the the likes of Chong, the likes of give me the other Mason Greenwood. Oh, James Garner played midweek in the Europa League as well as did Brandon Williams at left back. I think all of those players are gonna get big run outs against uh Chelsea. Chelsea. I think Chelsea brought on what's what's the name of that centre half? Um they brought him on against Burnley and he had a couple of shots. Oh, Reese James. Reese James, James is going on, I yeah. think that's why he came on in that match. I think Hudson Adoy is going to start this match. I think it'll be his first major start in a while, given his like return from injury. I think he played well when he came on. But Drew he, might get some minutes. Drew also came on in that match. Uh, there's a lot of players at Chelsea, the elder statesmen of Chelsea, who are going to get a few minutes. Even Mickey, Mickey Bashwai, who got the winner at Ajax last week. I wouldn't be surprised if Drew and Bashwai both play if... Uh, Guy have already Reese James plays. If you get a run out for the reserve keeper, and a lot of these older heads, Marcus Alonso, Cesar Azpilicueta, uh, even Christian Pulisic, who who's been scoring, scored a hat trick at the weekend. If you know all of those players will get a rest for this match, and it'll be a very much a kind of makeshift Chelsea side against the youth team from the under twenty three squad from Manchester United. The flip side of this is the Liverpool game because I don't think Liverpool won the League Cup. They and very much played uh, the kids out when they went away to, I think it was Burton Albion in the last round. It was as if they wanted to lose. I didn't go to penalties that match or... No, they, they did win it, but... It, it was extra time or something? Well, there is no extra time anymore. Oh, no, maybe it glorious. was penalties. 
Uh, no, they, they won it in, in 90 minutes, oh, but okay. it was only like one or two now. It wasn't, yeah. They didn't it, blow away I don't think Liverpool want to be in this tournament, but Arsenal are so bad at the moment that they Liverpool could win this by default. I think Arsenal... They could try field another ineligible player to try get Yeah, that was back. the idea. <laughs> Come on, knock us out of this tournament. We're trying everything we can here. I think they just got a fight for it. Yeah, they did. They got Which lucky there. I think uh, the, a similar case happened with some other team a couple of years ago where they also just got a fight. I don't yeah. was. Neither can I, but the, it was a Sheffield Wednesday, I want to say. Um, yeah, I think it's that's a more interesting tie because I think the other... Well, it's more interesting in that it's two teams that will... Ha- have to turn up some kind of miracle not to win the match or not to lose they both want they I, that's unfair to Arsenal Liverpool want to lose this match Arsenal don't Arsenal can't win a match for love nor money especially away from home especially away Anfield, from home where Liverpool are unbeaten now for 45 games I think yeah in the a, league I a think. good a good run of, of matches at home for Liverpool I, I is fair to say but Arsenal will play Emery will play his so-called Europa League side the so-called Freddie Numberg under 23 side where he'll play five or six at least uh, players who played for the under-23s last season, plus uh, Martinelli could come in as well. And it'll be a lot different. Xhaka won't play uh, for a lot of reasons, but he definitely won't play. Uh, you will have um, I've compl- Smith Rowe will play. Willock will be back in the squad. Saka will play. Uh, Reese Nelson will play. Martinelli will play up front. Uh, Rob Holding get another run out. Kieran Tierney will get another run out. Uh, Hector Bellerin will get another run up. Callum Chambers will play centre-half. Martinez will play. All of those players aren't as much tainted by the other performances under Emery. They're not managed that much by Emery or they haven't been in the last 12 months due to injury, due to being part of the youth setup, or due to not being at the club. So all of that could work in Arsenal's favour, especially if Liverpool really want to go out and lose this match. Uh, and being, being away from home might help as well, just to get away from that kind of yeah, volatile... Yeah, the, the negative fans. Although, like, it, the... The, the fans, the, the diehards, as you call them, that would travel with the Arsenal team away from home, especially midweek for a League Cup game at Anfield, they have made their presence known. I believe Edu, the last away match, Edu actually, who's the technical director at Arsenal, went out and spoke to the away fans for like an hour after the match. Yeah, it's people had to come onto the pitch and actually get them back off to, yeah. so they could leave. Yeah, so that that's the kind of... Um, they're... they're, they're Whatever they say is heard by the club, and we, you know, we've talked before about Arsenal being kind of KSC, the owner group, the Cronkay owner group that own Arsenal being very um, absent as a as a ownership structure, similar to Mike Ashley at Newcastle. But there's now people in charge at the club who aren't absent, who are in it. And to bring us back to the topic of the show with Unai Emery and Arsenal, if this is that read as a performance that's not Emery, that is maybe more from the Freddie Jumberg camp, the under twenty three side camp and performance is it could be near the end for Emery I I have heard like David Ornstein did report today though that it's not looking like there there's an appetite to get rid of Emery before the end of the season but you know if, if things go if the performance is construed as being terrible and down to Emery and having lost the dressing room I think a decision could be newer could be sooner to the fore saying that Liverpool really want to lose this match so they, they, they could go all out and put a few goals into their own net. <laughs> I don't think uh, they want to lose it that much. I think they do, to uh, be But then in the league, then we've got the likes of Bournemouth against Manchester United. Bournemouth have kind of struggled the last few games. They're not scoring anymore. So maybe a home game against Manchester United is just what the doctor ordered. If, Man United always seem to get that result though at Bournemouth. Don't yeah, they? they lost there the year Bournemouth got promoted, but ever since then I think they've won. Every yeah, even time. when they've been in good form, United come and then it's it's usually a, an evening in winter where it's a bit wet. 
Marshall's back for United. Uh, they linked up well with Rashford in a, yeah. what was a bizarre game at Norwich. Two missed penalties. Two missed penalties. Still, still scored won. three yeah, goals. Still three one up. Um, Norwich are bad side. <laughs> yeah, they, I know they, they've got a few good results this season, but and I know they're struck with injury more so than maybe any other side yeah. in the league for the but last even, few years. But even their first team isn't that isn't worlds away from their second or third team, whatever you want to call what's been playing at the moment. Like Manchester United. It, it was it was very, it was the perfect kind of game for United to go away at Norwich. What's your read on the Manchester United situation? Because before the international break, uh, I think Solskjaer was under most pressure of any manager. After the Newcastle match, especially, yeah, that was a really bad result, really and, bad performance. And now we're looking at a situation where he's not even Marco Silva is under more pressure. Obviously, Unai Emery is under more pressure. Pochettino's situation is still growing. You have a lot of different managers under a lot more pressure than Solskjaer, and he's kind of gone in under the radar, got his results in there. They, they Not playing well, won the Europa League. Not playing well, won against Norwich. Players are coming back from injury. Martial's back. You know, he's a streaky player by by all accounts, but he does get to add that flexibility up front of, of Rasher playing in his more preferred position, drifting out wide and not being the central focal point for all the attacks. Does this buy Solskjaer time? Like I think these last three results, the draw, Liverpool, the win away at Partizan and the, the win at Norwich, I think that has kind of eased the pressure a lot just because they're the kind of results that are needed. Like the fans, I think, understand that, you know, the team's had a lot of injuries lately. Like, I, 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 like performances have been bad for sure, but I don't think it's been a case where... like. The, I, we talk about like with the van, the fans kind of turning on Emery very quickly. Like, I think I suppose that's where Solskjaer being a club legend has kind of come to his yeah. advantage. Like, it is going to take a lot for the Man United fans, especially the ones that actually go to Old Trafford every week, to actually turn on Solskjaer. I don't think they're going to turn on him either. They'll just like not like him as a manager. Yeah, they'll just be kind of like, oh, well, this this needs like to Alan end Shearer. a bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think I think in that sense Solskjaer is kind of he's wrote his luck that way uh, Pogba's still out till December it was announced today yeah. which is a big blow like their midfield is like Fred is just yeah what was it Fred and uh, who was the other player that played with Fred uh, they've got Fred McTominay and Pereira kind of oh. playing in a in a three midfield there Pereira like, Pereira actually playing in his actual position for once in the 10 and he played he played well enough against Norwich I thought so the only problem is he's a passenger when they're defending. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see kind of how that progresses with him playing in his proper position. And the front three, like we talk about Arsenal's front three, but Man United's front three as well has proved pretty exciting so far. They've linked up pretty well. Daniel James, you know, he, you know, it's been it's still early days, but he's proving to be a good signing so far for yeah. them, especially considering you know he only costs eighteen million, which only. in today's market is very little for a yeah unproven championship player. He's done very well. He's adapted to the Premier League. I don't think anyone would have thought. I uh, I didn't think he'd he'd start this well. No. So you know, obviously he still needs to keep going. Will Lee Clark about him? Yeah. <laughs> so obviously he could still drop off. Will Lee Clark play the midweek? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think he's available. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's having a takeaway that night. Getting his hair done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think with the performances of the youth players like Brandon Williams I think has been pretty impressive at left back I think stuff like that and mm. the fact that Mason Greenwood is there Angel Gomez is there Chongy is knocking about oh, <laughs> I just love that as a nickname uh, I think I think there's enough kind of optimism there that things will get better mm. so far that I think fans are okay with Solskjaer at the moment mm. and, and Bournemouth isn't the worst match away from home uh, but their away form, like like Arsenal's, like Tottenham's, has been dreadful lately. Mm. So it, this would be a big win for them if they get it. 
Uh, and then Arsenal play Wolves at home, which they struggled with last year. They should have lost that match. They did then get hammered at Wolves 3-0, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. I wouldn't uh, be optimistic of them getting a draw, really, which, out of, out of Wolves If they do home. lose that, then it really does seem like everything is spiraling out of control. Well, yeah, I, that's why I think it's going. I think it's... <laughs> There was a lot of optimism, not to, again to roll over the Arsenal topic again, but there was a lot of uh, optimism going into the season, and it's all gone now. And I don't think, I don't think Wolves are the best team to be playing when that optimism is gone, because they're a hard team to play against. And Wolves have been, you know, flattering to the sea. They got the great result, obviously, uh, against what you call them a few weeks Man ago, City. Man City, a few weeks ago. But where, where, where do they go to from there? And they've kind of had to come down from that. Well, they were poor against Newcastle. This yeah. Week. And against ten man Newcastle and yeah. conceding a late goal is kind of that was their bread and butter last season of being defensively tight. So I I expect them to to have an answer for Arsenal this week and not to to really give away that kind of goal again. And then shout out to Southampton who have to recover from a nine nil home defeat by playing Manchester City away not once but twice. Yeah, in this one week. week. Yeah. That's pretty cruel. Uh, in fairness to to like obviously the League Cup is also a tournament Man City could care less about they'll probably end up winning it but they'll win it just because yeah, they, so, <laughs> yeah. they just so happen to win all their matches without Ex- trying I- exactly uh, I don't think they'll lose 9-0 again I feel bad for Southampton because they haven't played that badly this season but have been punished it's as if you know the way Spurs or Arsenal or any of these other teams we've been talking about have played this season like they almost have at times have deserved to concede that many goals because they've been so poor but have got lucky like Casaniga yesterday Easy could have conceded nine goals, but he played well, so they didn't. But like Southampton, is every everything that can go against them has gone against them really this season. And yeah, playing Man City twice in a week after losing nine nil is, is another thing that's going against them. Yeah, that is that is the football gods not smiling yeah. down upon them. Maybe yeah. smiling down a bit on Portsmouth. Maybe. Yeah, it mightn't rain as much this time. Yeah, because that was the thing. I was I was just thinking like if I was playing for either of those sides at halftime, I'd be saying to my manager, "I'm coming off now." Yeah, oh, <laughs> just because the weather is yeah, so yeah. terrible. Yeah. Oh, it felt so bad. But at least Leicester could have the joy of scoring a few goals in the terrible yeah. weather. Uh, but that'll do us for this week on the Total Football Show podcast. Uh, we'll be back again next week. Uh, thank you for being here, Andrew. Thank you for having me, Declan. And uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then don't forget you can tell family and friends about the show. Spread the word of the Total Football Takeover. You can also follow us on social media at the TF Pod on Twitter and Total Football Pod on Instagram. You can also be found on podcast services, including Spotify, by searching Total Football Podcast. The more, the merrier. That's what we always say.